Hi, I'm Elise. I'm Matt, and welcome to Pod Wraiths, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. If this is your first time joining us, we're two friends watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine and sharing both our deep and irreverent thoughts on our favorite Star Trek series. This week, we're talking about Season 3, Episode 24, Shakar, teleplay by Gordon Dawson and directed by Jonathan West. This episode aired on May 22nd, 1995. This week on Deep Space Nine, Kira's old resistance leaders' refusal to return some farming equipment to the Bajoran government nearly starts a civil war. Well, first things first, Elise, the Scottish ghost candle from Next Generation Sub Rosa is back. Why don't you tell me a little bit more about that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, the titular Shakar is played by Duncan Regeer, who Star Trek fans might remember from the infamous Ghost Candle gothic romance episode of Season 7 of The Next Generation, Sub Rosa. I'm a little upset that I didn't recognize him um, myself, but he was slightly less green in this, so I guess it's somewhat understandable. Had better hair too, because yeah. like I, I'm sure I'm sure it's probably a wig, um, in Sub Rosa, but had that kind of you know long sort of I don't know Baronic hero sort of hair, <laughs> like a Fabio type. No, it wasn't that long. I'm exaggerating. Yeah. Second thing, second, Elise, did you or did you not remember this episode? I did not remember anything about this episode. Nothing. Nothing. None of it. Oh, wait, that's not true. I vaguely remembered that the darts thing where um, O'Brien needed surgery oh, sounded really yeah, familiar, yeah. but yeah. I didn't remember the, any of the A-plot. Yeah. Well, and, like, it's the, an interesting thing for me about, like, this A-plot is, like, I liked it. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed this episode. But, like, also I feel like to a certain degree it's, like, plot elements that we've seen in Bajoran like politics stories like before like kind of remix because like in some ways it's it's similar to oh I can't remember the name of the episode but the one where Kira has to like relocate the farmers off the moon oh um, right ends up becoming friends with the uh the older guy like who become who's like a kind of like a father figure and then and she yeah, like that's... destroys that thing that he's building. Yeah, the kiln or like the I forget what the name of the yeah. episode was, but yes. And like even, you know, going back to the Circle trilogy that started season two, um, this episode doesn't end dissimilar from that. The idea of like, you know, Bejar being on the brink of civil war again and like, you know, all this stuff. Like it's definitely area we've we've tread before and i don't know if that's like i'm necessarily using that as a as a bad thing but then again like it it might be in some ways in isolation easier to be a forgettable episode when it's it's remixing some of these things i would say that but also the, so, sorry go ahead i didn't want to cut in in case you were going to say something similar but i was thinking the only difference is that i feel kira acted differently in this episode than in the previous similar stories um i think she stayed a little bit true to herself maybe in this episode than in previous where she had to like be on the side of the man i guess i would say yeah i was like less less conflicted and like 
Part of that is probably because she hates Kai Wen. Yeah. Which, I mean, like, she lied to her for fair. the last time. <laughs> yeah, right? And, like, the whole idea of, you know, having that other, like, pre-existing, like, relationship and, like, basically the whole, like, war buddies things with, with Shakar and the rest of the, the resistance cell. Um, this episode is pretty much, like, a direct sequel to the episode we covered earlier this season, Life Support, the one where Beriah ends up dying and the Cardassian Peace Treaty and and all of that stuff, right? Oh, totally, yeah. Because they, me- they mentioned that at the beginning of this episode. I mean, we have Kira praying for Beriah, you know, when we first see her, and then... When we last see her, she's I think going to pray for him again. But doesn't doesn't she like turn off the like memorial candle oh, flame thing? Maybe I missed that. But that's because like, she left I, it on I, for I the two weeks. Idea. Is she left it on for like two or three weeks by accident when she went down to Bejor? So it was time to turn it off because she didn't call. <laughs> it's it also symbolic of like her mourning period. But you know, she, she forgot to like, call Cisco to like. Flame like blow it out or whatever while, while she was away um i really enjoyed this episode i i agree with you that it's didn't really feel like new ground so much um but i do enjoy when we get to learn more about bejor and a glimpse into res- resistance fighter kira's past um i always enjoy seeing kaiwen be a piece of shit um <laughs> and like she did not disappoint Rest in peace, yes Louise i Fletcher. think this is maybe the first episode where she's like really a big deal in it since louise fletcher died in real life um for us and i man, that might not be true don't 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 fact check me on that anyone um i found her extremely palpatine in this um where she was like very dictatory and it was very <laughs> frustrating which is she does so well she does she frustrates me so good well and it's interesting that you bring that up because in the original idea for the episode which i definitely don't like as much as the final product that we ended up getting um was that Shakar was going to be protesting the opening of a museum on Bejar because he better he believed that the resources would be better spent to feed the Bajoran people. And no one was happy with the state of the screenplay until Ronald D. Moore came up with the idea of having Kaiwen attempting to be the political leader in addition to the, the spiritual leader of Bejar, which they felt added some much-needed conflict to the plot and then i guess things fell in place after that according to the deep space nine companion um i both like using that win as that kind of antagonist and activating that and i i think the conflict ends up working for me better because you know the the idea of the labor movement is that we fight for both bread and roses right bread signifying you know folks material conditions everyone has a loaf of bread etc etc but then roses symbolizing the arts as well right so it's like the idea that museums theater literature like that that the arts still have an important role in society and yeah it's like bread and roses we fight for both we support both 
right? And the idea of Shakar saying, well, we don't like this museum because we should be focusing on this. And it's like, you know, supplying material. If it's just bread or roses instead of bread and roses is something that like I, as a former theater kid, um, fundamentally disagree with. So I, I'm much happier with the final product yeah. than this uh, earlier draft. I didn't realize that that is what the premise of the episode was supposed to be at first. And I agree with you completely that what it became was more interesting. Um, and I am not interested in that debate either. I agree that bread and roses are both important. Um, we need to... It's important to have entertainment and um, not always be, if you're just, if it's just bread, you're just working all the time just to eat. And that is pretty miserable. It's also interesting to me, the ways in which this kind of sets up, this episode sets up the future state of Bajoran politics, which we'll, we'll get into, I'm sure, eventually. But the idea of they originally going to have Beryl be elected Kai, and then realize that it was there was, it was a smarter choice to have Win be elected Kai for opportunities for conflict like this, and then seemingly now Kira may have an ally in the political arm of Bejar going forward, in you know this in Shakar being this revolutionary turned politician. Um, kind of somewhat based on Emiliano Napata from, from the Mexican Revolution. Um, yeah, interesting choices. Interesting to see how that that follows and, and goes forward. All right, before we dive more into Bejor and such, um, let's talk about the B-plot. Again, love when an episode of Deep Space Nine has a solid A and a B-plot. Because that was going to be the format of this this show, and we're, we're finding out that <laughs> going less be. episodes have that format than you know I originally remembered when we were setting up how to structure the show. And this is like O'Brien barely a B plot, which makes it even funnier. I would say it's like it's like just filler scenes, and I don't I don't mean that in like a negative way. I I feel like it's wonderful. Well, and I think the thing with like B plots like this, like this. The idea of the plot of, like, O'Brien being in the zone and darts and, you know, quirk-like running numbers for, <laughs> you know, challengers to O'Brien being in, in the zone for darts. Like, it can, it can like, fit into, like, any episode. You can, like, lift and shift it um, into anyone because it's not particular thematically tied to the, the A plot. But why I, like, you know, kind of b plots like this that you know could be lifted shifted like that is it just like gives the station like such a lived in feel for me right that it's like shit like this is going on off screen all the time right like life happens and like in the face of like these giant like you know climactic um political world changing events in the life of bejar you can have the simple joys of being in the zone playing darts and like life is happening constantly all around us at, at every time. And it's like, yeah, I dig it. Yeah. And I also feel like it need, it brings added like levity to the episode, which is much needed because the other plot is v- quite serious. Um, yeah. And 
it's just a fun, silly thing. Um, you know, O'Brien wants to go kayaking, but he's on the he's in the zone, and Quark doesn't want anything to happen to his to O'Brien's his arm. Goose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is just so funny that the. I mean, obviously, this isn't like the cause, but the thing that like disrupts O'Brien's arm being like great is when Quark hands him like a synth ale. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it would have. Ha- yeah. I I do get the impression that it ha- would have happened regardless. So it's really funny that Quark like is like, I only handed him a synth ale. <laughs> how much? I I don't know anything about betting odds, but I'm like, how much money do you think Quark lost? Um, if he was offering fifteen to one odds. Well, I mean, it depends on like how much like someone bets, right? So like, the idea of like you know fifteen to one. So if like someone bet a dollar and one and like you know that the Vulcan won they'd get fifteen dollars right so like if someone let's see here let's just do some math so like if you don't if you bet a thousand dollars and then O'Brien lost you would get like fifteen thousand dollars okay right so potent potentially like a lot yeah right that's... um yeah he was offering ten to one previous and then o'brien like pushed him but i also feel like that's on quirk because i don't think you should just go by whatever o'brien says to change your uh you know that's not based on odds that's based on hearsay really i mean that's i mean when you're when you're doing like setting the lines for like betting and stuff like yeah like stats so like you know play into it but like also it's like a feeling in a sense and like it's calculations and like all of that too right like someone else might give you slightly different numbers based on the same information oh totally i get that i've actually been to the track before um we went for my friend's birthday one year in the meadowlands you may be familiar with the meadowlands if you have watched um the sopranos there it's a rest in peace to pioma <laughs> it's like a town but also there's the meadowlands is where um giant stadium or i guess it's called metlife stadium now because they they took giant stadium town it's where the devils and the nets used to play before the nets moved to brooklyn actually they moved to newark first and then moved to brooklyn the devils still play in newark but there's an arena a stadium and a major league soccer stadium too so like there's all sorts of things um don't quote me on that now i'm wondering if maybe the major league soccer team does play at the metlife stadium but i don't remember anyway so the meadowlands to me is like there's a lot of amusements there um but including the track so we went for the trotters once and it's like the trotters was kind of boring because if you like go too fast you like are out like you you're you have to actually like trot um but that was all that was going on during from my friend's birthday so i gambled a little bit i don't think i won anything but i probably only gambled like five dollars because i'm not a big gambler it was fun to drink beer outside though i will say that speaking of beer i always forget how synth ale works like do you not feel it or do you feel it less? Yeah, or so, does it like last not as long? Like what what's the deal with synthale again? It's basically like non-alcoholic beer. 
mascot. Right. So it's like you don't, the idea is you don't get intoxicated from it, but it tastes like exactly the same. So it's like the logical conclusion of the the zero proof, non-alcoholic craft beer movement renaissance that we're living in now where they've just, you know, perfected the taste. So like it is literally will taste the same but not have the, the right. alcoholic side. Of and so not to out your, and we can cut this if you want to, but not to out your like January escapades, but you were drinking non-alcoholic beer in January. Is this correct? Yeah, no, I did dry January. Yeah, go me. Um, and so did you find, not to like segue, but I'm going to segue. Did you find that some of the beers tasted as good as beer with alcohol in it? Um, There's some that definitely like got close. Some were better than others. Like it's not... On the whole, it still, like, isn't tasting the same, but, like, there were, like, some, like, pretty, pretty close facsimiles, and I think, like, the the closest facsimile, like, in, like, 0% non-alcoholic beer that I've tried that tasted most like its alcoholic counterpart mm-hmm. was the Corona Sunbrew, it oh. being, like, the non-alcoholic Corona, yeah. and that pretty much tasted the same, so I don't know if that's impressive or an indictment of how <laughs> just tastes in general that right. you can did you still add a lime no to it? it of course okay just just making sure um so i guess you would drink non you would drink synth ale because you wouldn't want to be like messing up your dark streak with actual alcohol is kind of how i read that scene yeah um yeah. Yeah. I would have probably just drank Diet Coke, as we as we know. I love. Um, but that also is a stimulus, so who knows what I would what I would have done if I was in O'Brien's shoes. <laughs> Maybe I would have had a ginger ale. I like a ginger ale, like a, instead of alcohol. You know, like instead of like a gin and tonic, we'll just have a ginger ale instead. I like bubbles, so that's part of that. How do you feel about ginger beer? I love ginger beer, but I I have only had it with alcohol. So I love like Oh okay. Um so I took a an a cocktail making class like in twenty twenty when everyone was doing like what can we entertain ourselves with virtually um at the start of the pandemic and we were so a bunch of people and I did a virtual cocktail class and we learned about this one the the point was to be able to make drinks based on what you had in your um, house already. So obviously, you would you might not have everything, but the concept was like a citrus, a sugar, a liquor, and something bubbly. And so you can do like gin or vodka. You can do lemon or lime or both. You can do simple syrup or a honey syrup, and then you can do tonic water ginger beer or if you're going for extra fancy maybe put a little prosecco in it so it was like a really nice cocktail i'm sorry there was also vermouth or some sort of um fermented wine so you can use port or uh, lilit rose or something like that too so it was basically like these types of things mix together nicely and you can make various drinks with different versions of those things and so I really got into ginger beer when I was doing that because I think ginger beer tastes really good with all of that, all of the other ingredients. And it was a really nice top off for the, for that drink. But I also really like, um, 
Dark and Stormies, which I usually have with um, rum and ginger beer. Um, I like Moscow Mules, which can often have ginger beer in them. Ginger beer's great. Do you like ginger beer? Dark? Yeah, I, I, I don't mind it. Um, some are definitely like spicier than others, and so it's like yeah, that's always fun to find out like how yeah. Sharp the I usually will be. I usually um, get the um oh what's that brand? They have the there's a specific brand I like that I usually get, and I know I like that one. Um, it's oh Fever Tree. Fever when you kiss me, fever. <laughs> I like that song. The fever. Fever. All right. Was there any? Was there anything else on the darts plot you wanted to cover? Um, not really. But I will quickly say the idea that like you could have surgery today and go back to your darts um tournament tomorrow is very funny to me. <laughs> like the turn, like the recovery time. <laughs> I just love when Bashir's like he'll be good as new tomorrow. <laughs> if only. And then it's like, and O'Brien's like, no, 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 I don't want to forfeit. I will do it. He's like, I just need one more. Uh, I just need surgery. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that. That was funny. Ugh, now I have fever in, in my head. There's like a specific version of that that I think might be related to the Muppets that is in my head, and I can't think of what it was in. See, I always think of, and maybe it's because, you know, Listeners, skip ahead 25 seconds. Are you going to talk if about... you want to know nothing about future seasons, but uh, when the Na sings it on the holiday. Um, yeah, in a couple seasons. Yeah. Okay, so there is a... I haven't seen this in a while, but apparently Rita Moreno and Animal have like a version of Fever that was on the Muppets. Amazing. Yeah, I'll have to watch that this afternoon. Um, I think now we're going to talk about the separation of church and state. <laughs> or the lack yes. of separation of church and state. So the first minister, whom we've never met before. Yeah, so- we don't someone know named something or since, other. Since Jaro's, since Jaro's attempted coup in season two. Um, he dies, and Kai Wynn, the spiritual leader of Bejar, not all-around great person, as we know... Um, becomes first minister interimly and is, is running unopposed to consolidate her own power and unify the spiritual branch of Bajoran life with the political branch of Bajoran life. Um, and Kira is upset about this because she knows that Kaiwin is, is loved and adorned for you know, making peace with Cardassia, but that was actually Beryl and ultimately like what what killed Beryl was Kaiwin pushing to have the, the treaty done and not being able to do it without him. And uh Kira's pissed. I was kind of confused about one part of this. Okay, so when Cisco comes and tells Kira about what happened he still says interim government. And I can't tell if it's like interim since the beginning, like because we've had the interim government, or is it because this guy died, she's in charge like temporarily. Like I couldn't tell if like the government as a whole is still on interim status or Kai Wen was interim in charge. And I don't know that it matters. Yeah. I just was confused by that. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the short answer is it's like, probably both right <laughs> um they know they never really like 
formally move away from like you know the the post occupation like provisional part of the government. Oh yeah, provisional. Um, I guess is I don't, the word that I. Meant I don't to know say, if we but... we we have a little bit like hey we have a constitution now and we're right. Set up. <laughs> it's a declaration but, of independence. <laughs> yeah, but for all intents and, and and purposes, like in the context of this episode, it's like the interim leader, the interim like you know, executive right. until the next election, right? Which, because it talks about when having her name stand to be elected, because she still needs to be elected, but it's like she's in her, like, um, it's like she's fulfilling the rest of the term or whatever, right? Like, so, or until they can elect a replacement. Right. I get you. Um, My dad has been interim for, like, things. <laughs> interim leader of things. <laughs> um, It's funny that I didn't really realize this until you had it in the notes, but like she really is the space pope now. Um, no, no, no. The 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 pope as the bishop of Rome, like you know, throughout the like um, Middle Ages and the Renaissance and things like that, actually having real political power as as in addition to like the spiritual power. Um, again, generally, of course, controlling the area around Rome and the, in the papal states, but. Uh, yeah, like you look at the Borgias and Rodrigo Borgia basically uh, ran things like it was his own little kingdom and, you know, wasn't that different from any other kind of Renaissance ruler. So. Amusingly, the guy that was the colonel later in the episode was in the Borgias TV show. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I was looking him up because I knew he looked familiar to me. Um, he was also in The Wire, which I have not watched, but like he just has like a... He's just a face that's been in a lot of things, but the Borgias is apparently one of the things. That's funny. So speaking of elections, um, and Kira working through her feelings on Kaiwin and wondering why Bejor Brit Large doesn't see Win the same way she sees her, what did you think of that conversation in this episode between Kira and Odo about Odo basically says the price of giving people the right to vote and make decisions for themselves is that sometimes they make the wrong ones, et cetera, et cetera. What did you think of that conversation? I mean, I think that Odo is pretty spot on there. I do think that that is something we grapple with in our society a lot. Um, And I don't know that, and I'm saying that as someone who like doesn't know that there has been like a right person to lead, like, the U.S. or any other country, for that matter. Um, but yeah, I mean, that is part of, I guess, what a democracy is, is some people will make the decision that's not in the best interests of themselves or other people, or you can only go, I mean, people can only go by what they think they know. Um, and a lot of, a lot of people don't know how bad Kai Win is, and I don't know if, Kira should have told people that she that she was bad. I don't know if that would have messed things up too much. I really don't know. Like, obviously, no one's out there exposing Kai Win for like. It just feels like there's a lot of secrets being kept, and I don't think this yeah. episode changes any of that. If anything, it makes more no, it just... it, more secrets are being kept yeah. at the end of this episode. Yeah, and that whole idea of like where power resides and like it's actually not in the electorate it's in you know back rooms and like the idea that like the elections are also and like the episode doesn't super explore this and i think it has a like an almost an 
idyllic sense of electoralism. Um, but like the this election is won and lost before it even really starts, before Shakar enters it because he has the backing of the military. And like Wynn's like, oh, so it's a coup then? And they're like, no, it's not a coup. It's just for fair elections and blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, it's a coup. Yeah. You're forcing your rival to not run because you have the military on your side. And, and you have like, a blackmail. Yeah. Yeah. Like, right? Like, it's. Yeah, the military is going to back I, Shakar. Like, they all said they would. Yeah. So, and I guess, like, sorry to, like, jump to the end. No, but, like, fine. I think that some of, like, I don't know, frustration is probably too strong of a word, but it's like you, you set this whole, like, central conflict up in this, like, heart-to-heart between Kira and Odo, which then informs her actions over the course of the episode, in addition to her, like, you know, familiar, like, relationship with Shakar and, you know, the rest of the the crew and, and things like that. And it's just, there are things about that plot that, like, I can get behind in terms of, like, critiquing electoralism, but they're not, I don't think the episode is really, like, interested in doing that. It's, like, almost more, like, perpetuating the status quo yeah and yeah i don't know i wouldn't disagree with you i'm probably thinking about this too <laughs> i'm probably thinking about this too deeply but i mean again, that's who we if are you can't think about it too deeply <laughs> that's what the podcast is all about yes right? so um yeah that is i don't disagree um just to to backtrack a little bit though to the beginning of when Kaiwin is telling Kira about Shakar and what's going on with this these farm instruments or whatever. Um which yeah, I actually or whatever they are. I just real quick, I just thought about this time when I was at the dinner table with my family. Um and I must have been a teenager, but my sister is three years younger than me and I don't know how old she was, but like she asked my mom what a hoe was. Um, at the dinner table and my mom said a farming implement (laughs) and like that is not what my sister was that is not the definition that my sister had overheard being used um so it this whole argument over farm instruments made me think of that dinner table conversation (laughs) anyway um when Kaiwen is telling Kira at the beginning of the episode, like, hey, your buddy Shakar is not returning this equipment back. If the, Her tone felt so, this is your mission if you choose to accept it to me. <laughs> like she was sending Kira on like a mission impossible. Um, so basically we have two sides here. Kaiwen wants these reclamators so that they can, the whole planet can, I guess, grow crops to sell to other planets and be um a global trade power of some sort and shakar wants to be able to feed bajorans and use these farms to build like grow crops to actually feed people that are going hungry and and such so it feels very much like a globalization versus like let's help our own first kind of conflict um which is interesting because this if i feel like if kai win's purpose would be like okay to help other people in other countries that or other planets that are not that don't have enough food my opinion on this would be a lot different but because she just wants to trade with other 
places on like, okay, we really should feed the people that are um, starving currently. So I felt automatically on, on Shakar's side of the conflict and not just because Kira was on Shakar's side. Yeah, it's it's a much better dilemma to me than oh no, we have to open a museum. <laughs> yeah, that would have been real boring or like, or like whatever. You know what I mean? Like the idea of like participation in the wider galactic economy being valued over the material conditions of, you know, your 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 own planet. Yeah. Right? Um it's not a yeah. hard choice. Like I get Kaiwin wanting to be taken more seriously by other planets. Um, that makes sense to me, for sure. But I don't think that it's worth letting people starve for. <laughs> um, yeah. So, like, getting that out of the way. Um, I did really enjoy Kira catching up with her old buddies. Um, it was very sweet, and they're sitting around a table together. It that one scene, it seemed like they had maybe just finished a meal and they're drinking some wine or some ale or something and just telling stories. And I really enjoyed that. It was nice to see. I mean, you see Nana sitting in the chair. Her her knee is kind of up, like her foot's on the chair. She's just so, we never get to see her this relaxed ever. Um, she just felt really, com- she seemed like she felt really comfortable hanging out with these folks. Yeah. Um and it's funny, I say that as someone who currently has their foot up on a chair with, like, my knee up. And, like, that is a way that I sit when I'm very comfortable. I don't sit that way in my office, but I sit that way in my home office. Um, yeah. Even... How did you oh, feel... Sorry. sorry, go ahead. No, you go. go you go. How did you feel about, you know, when Kira finds out that Wynn has betrayed her and the negotiations that... Kira, you know, organized between Shakar and and the Kai that they are double crossed, and then the the military Kai win sends the military in, and then you know that's when the <laughs> resistance is is renewed, and they like you know knock the guards unconscious, and that's you know leads to the farmers picking up arms again. Um, how did you feel about Shakar stopping and and checking to see if like this is really what Kira signed up for and, you know, to kind of, like, join forces or whatever. How did you feel about that scene? Well, let just to, just to back it up a little bit about just Kaiwin um, betraying Kira in general, I felt also betrayed because I, for as someone who did not remember this episode, it felt like, I felt how Kira did because... I should have expected it, but I didn't for some reason. And I was like, man, she really fucked them over. <laughs> um, but I will say that I really appreciated Shakar taking time to make sure that Kira was doing what she wanted to do. Um, she He thought about her future more than, than she was. He was like, this might not go over so well. If you join us and it, it's really interesting to, and obviously Kira, you know, had made her decision and I appreciate that as well, but there's sometimes I get confused about, and I don't mean this in a bad way. Like I appreciate that Cisco lets Kira like 
be gone for three weeks or whatever, however long this took. Um, it was at least two weeks between the arrest scene and like this the end, um, where Cisco and Kaiwin have their conversation about what's happening. But like I get I get really lost in like how far would Kira have to go for Cisco not to like take her back <laughs> at Deep Space Nine? <laughs> Um, it doesn't really matter and we don't need to find that out. But like, I do think, you know, bosses are whatever, but Cisco's a really good boss. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just, to get back to your question, I really thought Shakar was, seemed like a really stand up dude. Um, I liked him a lot. I thought he was actually, I liked him more than the guy that they, than Lee Nollis, who they, like, had to rescue or whatever earlier. Yeah. Um, I found yeah. Shakar to be more interesting, and I I appreciate that Lee Nollis also kind of fell into his, that role, um, that maybe it wasn't, he didn't feel like he was as dedicated as everyone made him out to be, but I, I just think Shakar, like, is the real deal. I don't know. What makes you say that, though? Real deal, how? I th- Can you tell me more? I feel like... I don't mean this to say that people that are in resistances need to, like, not be violent. I don't I don't mean it that way, because I think that violence is often um, warranted. But I appreciate the fact that he seems to have learned from all of the experiences that he's been in. And, like, he and Kira both together at the same time kind of realized that they did not want to kill their fellow Bajorans. That is not what they signed up for. Um, I think the other two resistance people that they were hanging out with might have not made the same decision. Um, They seemed really primed to fight. Um, And I think that that is... Knowing when to be violent and when not to is really important. And they obviously found a different way. Um, yeah. I just felt like he saw the whole picture and really cared about... He really seems to really care about the people, not about his own um, power and such. Right. But he, like, weighs all his all the possible outcomes of his actions and like, isn't necessarily like fully government governed by emotion, but like yeah. does everything kind of deliberately. Yeah. yeah. He seems intentional. Yeah. Nope. Fair. fair, fair. And yeah, then, then through that, that's where, you know, the, the Shakar resistance cell has the, the other resistant, former resistant cell leader slash Bajoran military colonel, um, has them basically, trapped in like a kill box in the canyon and they talk it out and that's when they basically more or less at gunpoint threaten to blackmail the Kai into not running in the election and Shakar is going to run and is likely going to win and become the new first minister so yeah it's if it's not an outright coup it's a coup light <laughs> with the um with the outcome more or less predetermined before a ballot is even cast yeah so do you i don't know i just i want to see if you agree with me on this which it's obviously fine if you don't it's not that serious but i felt that 
While I agree that probably Cisco was telling the truth, telling Kai Win that the Federation law prohibits him from like getting involved in a Bajoran civil war type of situation, I kind of felt yeah. like Cisco would have said that or said no, even if that wasn't true. I don't think he personally would want to get involved in like an internal struggle like that. I don't know that it matters, but I just felt like I was watching that scene. And I just felt like, even if this is not true, Cisco would not have gone along with this. It, yeah, it's it's both true and not true, right? Because like the prime directive by the letter of the law right. would state that they not get involved. But again, we talked about the Circle trilogy last season, where you know Cisco and the other you know members of the other crew volunteer to stay behind on Deep Space Nine, you know, yeah. and, and try and buy time for the evidence of the Cardassian involvement in the Circle to be exposed right so again he's not wrong and you're 100 percent correct he's like you know making that calculation and using that legality as the excuse but also it's like the prime directive is meant to be broken and when it's when it's not it's to their own advantage right so i feel that was there anything else in the shakar plot you wanted to cover before we move on um no all right. Well, I don't know about you, Elise, but I'm feeling a little bit thirsty. So it's time for our Altair Water Thirst Quencher segment. Altair Water first being mentioned by Dr. McCoy in The Search for Spock. And who are you thirsting for this week? Okay. Hear me out. Okay. <laughs> what, I'm on the edge of my seat. <laughs> what if Kira and her little th- resistance cohort had a foursome after their, like, telling stories and drinking wine dinner? I was thinking about that the whole time watching that scene. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I mean, right. yeah. it would be nice. Like some familiar touches, I'm sure. Knowing glances, familiar touches. Exactly. You know, been there, done that. <laughs> what about you? Yeah, I didn't really have any any nominees for for thirst this week. Although I did have an entry in most Star Trek thing. And that is, again, kind of, I've referenced it before, but seemingly completely ignoring the material that material conditions play a part in elections and who has, air quotes, choice and who doesn't. Um, so, yeah, just the, the overriding kind of, you know, liberal ideal that is Star Trek sometimes. What about you? Do you have a candidate for the most Star Trek thing? Not really. I did think about it. I mean, it does feel very, like, okay, this is something that could happen in real life and we're using other species to engage with it, which is something I choose a lot as my most Star Trek thing. So it definitely has that, but like I didn't feel like super strongly one way or the other. Awesome. Well, Elise, if you have no other concluding thoughts, where can folks find more of you on the internet? Yes, you can find me on Twitter, Letterboxd, and Storygraph at chicken double underscore tendy that's t-e-n-d-i and you yeah you can find me on twitter and letterboxd as well at at mattyhugh m-a-t-t-y-h-u-g-h you can catch us together on twitter and instagram at pod and you can also email us at podrace at gmail.com please remember to rate and review us on the podcatching system of your choice thank you again to our editor melissa and dj empirical for our interstellar theme song And until next time, computer and program. Bye.